you're never going to know when you're in that position. But if you have inculcated values and, and you, you, you espouse them, you aspire to live by them every day, when something is wrong and you know that it's wrong, you'll know. Um, you know, I had a visceral reaction. I couldn't sleep. And, and it's, it's crazy to think about, but that was my body telling me like, hey, hey brain, this is what you tell us every day, do it. Um, but I, I will also say that it comes at a cost. You know, it comes at, at great personal and professional cost. Um, you know, when, when you step forward or you stand for something that you firmly believe in, people are going to judge that. And the personal courage that you have to have to stay the course it doesn't come overnight and you can't just pull it out of thin air. It comes from living day in and day out as an honorable person. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. I'm Dr. Max Cloud, Senior Director of Leadership Development at New Politics, a bipartisan organization dedicated to revitalizing American democracy by recruiting, supporting, and electing servant leaders who put community and country over self. On every episode of the podcast, I'm joined by a servant leader, a military vet, or an alum of a civilian service program like AmeriCorps or Peace Corps, who has chosen to serve again through politics at this critical moment for our country. And together, we explore the challenges of leading with courage, integrity, and empathy in the toxic space of American politics today. For today's episode, I had the honor of sitting down with Adam DeMarco, a West Point grad and Army veteran who ran for Congress to represent Maryland's 3rd District in 2018. Adam served multiple combat tours in Iraq during his five years of active duty in the Army before transitioning to a job in consulting in 2014. After the 2016 election, he felt called to serve again through politics and entered the arena to run for Congress in 2018, ultimately losing the primary to John Sarbanes. In the years since leaving the Army, Adam has stayed involved with the National Guard and was serving as a liaison between the National Guard and the Park Police in Lafayette Square outside of the White House on June 1st, 2020. That was the day that the Park Police used force on peaceful protesters to clear a path for the president to take a photo holding a Bible in front of a church on the other side of the square. Deeply disturbed by what he saw, Adam became the whistleblower who testified before Congress to challenge the administration's versions of events that day. In this episode, Adam talks about what he learned about leadership from the Army and what it was like trying to lead with integrity as a political candidate. And he shares his advice on how to cultivate the courage and integrity that led him to step out as a whistleblower. He's a remarkable servant leader, and I'm thrilled to welcome him to our show. Adam DeMarco, thank you so much for making time to be with us on the New Politics Podcast. Certainly. Thanks, Max, for having me. Great. So here's where I always like to start. Where is your, what is your earliest memory of learning the value of service? You know, I, I think the earliest one is my dad. And it was when I was playing sports in, uh, in Parkland, Florida. And I, I must've been like five or six years old. And I was going to play flag football and there wasn't a coach of like, they, they didn't have enough coaches. And because of that, they didn't know if they'd have enough teams. And my dad, who's not really an athlete, uh, you know, never played football, you know, stepped forward and said, hey, I'll, I'll be one of the coaches. And, and I think that kind of stuck with me because 
and it, it sounds kind of trivial right now, but if you think in the longer you know term of it, um, he saw that there was an opportunity that somebody needed something. And he said, you know what, like, there's nothing in it for me, but I'm going to go ahead and do it because I'm helping these kids, you know, then get on the football field. And, and it's those types of things, not, not these big, you know, uh, big events that we see at, you know, every day or that we wait for. It's the little things every day, day in and day out. And I think that's what stuck with me. So, you know, now every day that, you know, I proceed with, you know, my, my day-to-day professional and personal life, I see these little opportunities and, and that's what I try to to capture and, and really build upon. Awesome. And so you ended up attending West Point. Tell us, how did it happen? how did you end up at a service academy? Yeah, it, uh, it boggles my mind as well. Um, so, uh, was so, there a service in the family? Was there? Yeah. So, yeah. um, so my grandfather's served one, uh, my maternal grandfather was a, a Marine Corps veteran in the Korean war and my paternal grandfather was a uh, United States Navy sailor aboard the USS Houston, uh, which w- which sunk in 1942, and then um, you know he's a prisoner of war from 42 to 45. Wow, uh, he's now buried at, at Arlington National Cemetery. Um, so that his really you know reverence in military service comes uh, through my family my, and my father, who was the football coach, was a uh, uh, a deputy sheriff. Um, so he he was a civil servant. So I, I've always aspired to, to be in some type of service, whether it was law enforcement, military service. I've always had, uh, you know, tons of respect and reverence for those who wear the, the uniform of our nation. Um, but really it was 9-11. Um, I remember exactly as, as we all do of our generation, where you were that day. And I remember sitting in biology class when I, when I got news and I was in a world history class after that. And my teacher said, um, you know, the, the world has just changed in, in the span of, you know, however many hours it took for us to figure out what happened. And I knew that my path where I thought I would just go to regular college and, you know, play sports, I knew that that was my time to, to answer the call. Um, the one thing is, is I didn't have really good grades. So I, I thought that I was just going to enlist. Um, that was kind of my plan. I was going to do the high school option go to basic training, come back, and then, you know, go enlist active duty. Um, but what happened is, is because I, I was a, a very good athlete um, and I, I had the mentality that I wanted to go, but I, I didn't have the grades. Um, West Point said, hey, you know, we're interested in you playing football. You don't have the grades for it. Would you go to prep school? And I said, absolutely. Um, so it really worked out. I went to prep school for a year in uh, Monmouth, New Jersey, and then earned an appointment. Um, to West Point, and then, you know, been on this trajectory ever since. Fantastic. And you went on to do five years of active duty. It included multiple combat tours in Iraq. And I know this is kind of a big question, but one of the things we're always interested in at New Politics, what would you say the most important things you learned about leadership from that time in the Army? So without a doubt, the most important thing is compassion. Um, Because everyone is going through something right? We, we all have our challenges, our day-to-day issues, whether they be financially, um, you know, family, uh, self, you know, you know, personal challenges that we might have, medical challenges, whatever. Everyone is going through something. And when I was in Iraq, it was back when um, in 2010, 2011, it was the first government shutdown that I can really remember that affected me. 
And I had soldiers who were wondering if they were going to get paid. And, you know, we're deployed. They have families back home. Those families rely on their paychecks. What are we going to do if our soldiers who are half a world away, you know, trying not to get shot every day, um, and they're worried about their families back home and realizing that and, and getting with my platoon sergeant at the time, we started figuring out, okay, how much money do you have available? How much money do I have available? Can we pool this together? Because we could go through the army, uh, the AER emergency relief program, but that would have taken time. And these guys needed money. Now if this was going to happen. And in doing that, it wasn't like getting with, you know, my team, my leadership team saying, Hey guys, we need to show some compassion and do this, but it was just natural, right? It was, Hey, we need to help our guys because this is the right thing to do. And now that I look back on it, I realized that all of those things were all based off of one very fundamental idea. And that's being a compassionate leader, you know, being able to level set with people, understand their challenges and be willing to, to help them through those. And, and that's something now, as I continue to serve in the national guard that, you know, I always keep, you know, in my, my back pocket is, you know, understanding that the problems that you might see on the surface are one thing, but dig a little bit deeper because there's something else going on in there. And, and, and that's what I always try to, to tell people as I'm now in more of a mentor role, which is, you know, in, in my career, um, just to always keep that frame, you know, especially as leaders moving forward in a, today's, you know, climate. Yeah. So, you know, I come from the national service world and I'm a civilian and I know I'm not alone in being a little surprised from, you know, coming out of the military experience, feeling like compassion is the, like the basis for things. What would you say to civilians who are just kind of surprised that um, you emerge from those kind of warrior experiences with that focus on compassion? Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of people think of the military as the, the movies, right? People join, you know, Hoorah, hoorah. They, they, they want to go out and, you know, kick in doors. And that might be why people may initially join. I, we all have our, our various differences um, for or different reasons for joining. But I think when you're in the military, you realize that it's not about that. It's about your brothers and sisters. And, and that's why you serve. And I was I've been fortunate in my deployment experiences um, to not only serve with, you know, America's sons and daughters, but also with our allies and partners and to realize that while we all wear different uniforms, we speak different languages, we have different customs and courtesies. The one fundamental aspect of all of us as humans is that, that we have compassion. And that's the one unifying principle that, that I, you know, sticks with me, certainly, whether it's in Iraq, Jordan, Southern Syria, uh, Germany, most recently, um, you know, through my deployments, that's the one thing that always sticks with me, right, is, is a smile is universal. And, and we all kind of have those uh, human emotions. And if we're able to understand that, then we can not only build coalitions, but we can accomplish great things. So powerful. So powerful. So in 2014, you transition out of active duty, and you're in consulting. What was it like transitioning into the private sector? Uh, it was tough. It, it was absolutely tough. Um, anyone who says that transitioning is easy, I would say you're you're holding something back. You might I, I haven't heard anybody say that. I have to yeah. say, yeah. Um, but say a little more about what's challenging about it. So you know, in, in the military specifically, um, and, and I can't speak to you know the civil service world too much, but in the military specifically, you are like I said, you are 
you know, used to having your brothers and sisters there, people that are looking out for you, people that, you know, have your best interest in mind. When you go into the corporate world, um, that's not the case. And, and rightfully so, you know, it, it's, it's profits and losses, margins, you know, that that's what people look at. It, it's numbers, not so much people anymore. And you start losing that sense of community. And I think that's why we see a lot uh, of problems now with, with veterans and, you know, the statistical 22 veterans a day, those types of, of you know, for folks, uh, for listeners who don't know what that's about, explain a little bit more. So the, the Department of VA studies um, basically say that uh, on average, 22 veterans commit suicide every day. Um, and they, they can't attribute it to one thing or the other, but the one kind of overarching blanket idea is that a loss of community really contributes to that. Um, and I could say, you know, transitioning from the active duty into the business world, I can see exactly how that happens. Um, I was fortunate enough um, to stay in the National Guard, so I still have my one foot in the door. And for me, that was extremely important because it still gave me that sense of community. But I have a lot of friends that didn't do that. And unfortunately, you know, I have friends and people that I served with that didn't, and they are no longer here with us. Um, so that, that's something that, you know, I truly believe in. And, and you see this now, a lot of companies uh, in the corporate world, they'll do, you know, communities for veterans. They'll try to bring people together because they understand the importance of that camaraderie. Um, so, you know, that transition is really the most difficult. But now as I'm on kind of the other side of it and I see that, you know, I think that bringing veterans in and trying to, to build these, you know, communities um, to, to foster this sense of purpose and camaraderie is extremely important. Um, so any opportunity I see to do that uh, is one that I'm certainly going after. Great. So, you know, new politics, we're really interested in servant leaders who try to serve again through politics. And you are one of those folks. 2018, you ran for Congress to represent Maryland's third congressional district. Tell us how that came about. What was the process to deciding to enter the arena? Yeah. So um, I, I remember it clear as day. Um, so 2016, I think we can all say that there was kind of a black cloud that kind of permeated, right? Um, and I don't know whether you're on the right or you're the left, up or down. Um, I, I think we can all say that there was just this darkness, right? Um, in 2017, I was invited up to the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America Gala in New York City. And uh, Secretary Bob McDonald, former Secretary of the VA under President Barack Obama, was giving a speech. And he said that, you know, the old cliche that we stand on the shoulders of the giants who've come before us. And that really resonated me, with me that evening. And then on the train ride home the next morning, um, you know, I thought about my grandfathers. Um, I thought about, you know, other people's grandfathers. I thought about other people's sons and daughters that I had served with. And how many people have sacrificed so much for us to be in this, you know, climate um, and and I, I was just compelled to act. And, um, you know, I have no political experience in the world or excuse me, no political experience ever. Uh, and certainly none in my family. And I was on the train on the Amtrak um, back down to, to the Baltimore area. And I just started Googling, you know, how to run for Congress. Um, having gone through the, the new politics um, program, I kind of understood, you know, the realm that I was getting into, but the, the mechanisms of doing that. Uh, much different. Um, 
So, you know, started doing that. And then I called my dad up when I got home and I said, hey, dad, congratulations. You're the treasurer for the committee to elect Adam DeMarco. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And, you know, we started. But what was great about it is, is I wasn't doing it for myself, right? Because I felt called to do it. And because of that, and granted, we didn't win. What I can say is that we moved the, we moved the needle, right? We helped people. We helped inspire people to get involved. We helped, you know, inspire people to, to get help if they needed it. We, we facilitated people getting support that didn't have it. And we raised issues up that we believed in. And so that, regardless whether we won or lost, that's a win in the column of service, right? Because we're, we're doing something for something bigger than ourselves or myself. How would you say your service experience informed your um, your work as a candidate, your experience as a candidate? Yeah, so a lot of it was um, kind of, well, it was twofold. The first is, is understanding that because of my service, people are going to look at me through a lens and they're going to group me in with veterans, right? Specifically. And because of that, I have an inherent responsibility to hold myself up to the moral and ethical obligations to do right by them. Right. So I was, I made a promise to myself to not denigrate, you know, the office that I had held nor to denigrate the service that I had or the service of others. So that was something that, that I was very keen on, that I wanted to draw a very fine line in the sand that, you know, I have that moral responsibility to, to carry the weight. And then the second is, and the second side is, is really to, to make sure that whatever I do, I'm having an impact. Right? I'm not just doing things to do them. Um, everything that I did had a, like a metric assigned to it. Um, and I didn't want to just raise money to raise money, you know, because there are so many great organizations out there in the world that do need money and people are hurting. So I wasn't going to be, you know, dialing for dollars every night. You know, we were going to figure out creative ways and creative solutions to, to get our message out. Um, but still, you know, have a competitive campaign for, for more or less. So those were really challenging aspects to try to balance, you know, because it's very, very easy in today's world of, of Twitter um, to go on there and just start blustering around and throwing out accusations and and really degrading the discourse. Um, but I knew that, you know, I didn't want to do that because I have, you know, generations of service in my family behind me and the the men and women that I served with. I want to, you know, maintain my own honor. Um, so, you know, rather challenging, specifically in today's political climate. So our community is full of folks with you know, roughly similar background of yours, if they've chosen to serve um, military or civilian, they're looking at what's going on and just feel it's calling. What, what kind of, what lessons did you learn from stepping into the arena? And kind of what, what advice would you share for those folks? Yeah. So, you know, without getting into like the how to campaign stuff, you know, very, the most important things that, that, that I can tell you or I can leave with, with people is that, um, you know, People are watching you, right? They're going to watch everything that you do. Be prepared for that. Um, be prepared for not everyone to like you. Uh, you know, that's the unfortunate that's part of the game. Yeah. And, and for me specifically, because, you know, I, I consider myself a very friendly person. I, I'm respectful to everyone. Um, you know, to start getting hate mail and stuff. I was like, wait, what? 
that really took me aback. And it sounds kind of trivial, but I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, I had to swallow some pride on that one. Um, and, and, and really understand why you're doing it, right? A lot of people run to run or they're running for the next office type of thing. And, you know, you have an opportunity and a platform specifically with, if you're a member of the new politics organization, you've already been vetted, right? You, you, you have this service background. So you all automatically have a platform to grow and people are going to listen to you. There comes an inherent moral responsibility with that. And, and you know, I firmly believe, and maybe it's the uh, Josiah Bartlett in me, but um, you know, if you have the ability to have an impact, a positive impact, then you have a moral responsibility to do so. And if you're in this new politics community, you've already answered that calling once. And if you feel compelled to answer it again, then understand that that, that aspect is now exponentially bigger, right? Um, and, you know, politics is tough. It's, it's a terrible climate, but it's going to be servant leaders that bring us back to the norms of, of you know, civil discourse and to right this ship. Um, you know, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that America's best days are still, you know, ahead of us. Um, but it's going to take all of us, right? All hands on deck, everybody steering in the, you know, rowing in the same direction, you know, charting the same course. Um, but it's, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be overnight. But I think with servant leaders, specifically within new politics, I, I think we're going to get there. So I know a lot of our members of our community share this commitment to kind of moral leadership, but they also look at politics and see how toxic it is. And can you say a little bit more about what it was like trying to lead with integrity and that sense of there was kind of a, a moral calling here while you were in kind of the mudslinging toxic worlds of politics? Can you say a little more about that? Yeah, so it's tough because unfortunately integrity um, you know, doesn't trend. Um, it doesn't make, you know, the, the, the tabloids. Um, so it, it's, it's unstated. Um, but when you violate that, then it's all over the news. And unfortunately people realize that in today's 24 hour news cycle, you know, no press is better than bad press or excuse me. I think I flipped that around. Bad press is better than no press. There we mm. go. Um, so you, you have that kind of push and pull with, with mass media. And, and I think that, um, you know, as servant leaders who hold up, you know, moral leadership as really kind of like the, the top line to, to aspire to um, the mudslinging granted it, it, it kind of shows you how toxic, you know, society can be, but as moral leaders and as we aspire to continue to be that, I mean, we, we just can't engage in it. The unfortunate aspect is, is that's not what trends, right? That's not sexy. That's not popular. Um, and, and I think that comes down to the moral fiber that you have to have and the personal courage that you have to have um, to not respond because people are going to accuse you of, you know, everything under the sun and you can't give in to that. Um, because once you start giving into it, then you start giving it credence, you start legitimizing it, and then you make it part of the regular discourse and, and the regular conversations. But it's tough. Um, and, and I think that's why 
as servant leaders who are, you know, looking to run in, you know, whatever, whether it be federal or local office, I, I think that's why the important aspect is, is having a, a positive message because that's what people want. People don't want to see the mudslinging as much as, you know, it trends and things like that. If you were to, and I mean, the Pew research, you know, shows these polls all the time, but if you were to ask the majority of Americans right now, if what they think of the, the current presidential debates and the, the election cycle, they're just sick and tired of it. That's not what they want. People want positive messages, whether you're left, right, up or down, that's the message that they're looking for. And, and if you can deliver that and maintain your integrity, honor and, and, and character and aspire to be that servant leader and, and moral leadership, then I think that's how we, we change this country. So it's a great segue into the next topic, which I, of course, have to ask you about and, and talk about. You're the whistleblower who challenged President Trump's version of what happened on June 1st, Lafayette Square. He used force on principal protesters to clear a path for that photo op holding a Bible. Um, you were the senior member of the National Guard on site. Am so I getting... I so I was a, a liaison. A liaison. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So tell us, tell us your story of what happened. So I was, um, so back up a little bit. So I was in March, uh, COVID started picking up here in Washington, DC. And, um, I had just returned from a tour over in uh, European command and I knew COVID was going to be a big thing. Right. Um, I had seen the reports, knew kind of what was hitting, um, they declared a state of emergency in DC and I volunteered. I said, Hey, I want to be mobilized. I want to be a part of this. So I had been responding to the coronavirus, you know, pandemic for, for several months back on active duty. Um, I was a liaison to two hospitals here in DC and I have no medical background. Um, but I was helping them do disaster surge planning and, and our, you know, unit, uh, built a hospital in the convention center in case, you know, things went haywire. So we were, we're fully, you know, involved in the community, helping people out because that's what we do, right? The National Guard is there to help people. Um, and then the civil rest uh, starts with the, the death and murder of, of George Floyd. Um, and, you know, the June 1st is one point in time. The previous two days were, were violent and, and riots. Um, I was there the day before. Uh, so May 31st, um, as uh, really just a bystander, I hate to say that, but our chaplain was there and, and I was with him kind of assisting him. And, um, you know, we were there for the riots, the, you know, when St. John's Church was, um, you know, arsons tried to burn it down. So then on June 1st, we knew that there was kind of be a, a big day potentially, right? I was there, you know, the day before, the day before that, we had six National Guard members injured, countless federal law enforcement officers injured. So there was, you know, a, a lot going on. Tensions were extremely inflamed. On June 1st, I was asked to be a liaison to the park police because not only were we by the White House, but we had people by the, you know, Washington Monument, Lincoln Memorial, et cetera. And um, when I was there at Lafayette Square, you know, was told, you know, what the mission was going to be without going into in too many details as to the, the schematics of things, because, you know, still lots of investigations going on. What I can say is that you know the the events of that day were a stark difference than the previous days. It was not a riot. in terms of the peacefulness of the Absolutely. protesters. Right, people were peaceful. There were no injuries. There's no violence. There's no riots. Um, the only violence that occurred 
was when the United States Park Police forcefully cleared uh, the protesters. Um, and, and seeing that, and then what happened afterwards, um, you know, obviously the Trump photo op, which I didn't know occurred until hours later when I returned. I had seen the president show up, but I had no idea that the Bible stunt happened. All of that really gave me a sick feeling. And I, I knew- Say more, why? Say, say a little more. So in my testimony, I said this to the United States Congress, I said, you know, I was deeply disturbed by what I saw. And everyone thought that I meant like, you know, seeing people getting tear gassed bothered me, uh, you know, shot with pepper balls bothered me. And, and it did, but I was deeply disturbed at really two points that the first being that I saw the United States government attack American citizens, uh, demonstrating their First Amendment rights peacefully. Um, and, and then it really, so that was one aspect. And then the other one is the covering up and lying at, and after the fact, um, the abdication of responsibility, no one willing to say what really happened, right? Um, and, and as as a moral leader, that bothered me. Um, and I had trouble sleeping after that, you know, because it was weighing really heavily on me because at, at that point, I was more or less the senior person there uh, from the National Guard. And I really felt that I had a moral imperative and responsibility to do something. You know, going back to what I said earlier, I firmly believe that if you have the ability to make a positive impact, then you have a moral responsibility to do, to do so. So it took me a while to figure out what this was going to look like. And I, I was thankful enough to get some great advice, some, you know, a, a great community of friends um, to figure out how to best do this because I didn't want to make it about me. And, and that's the issue because. Although if I can pause you for a second, were you always clear that you were going to find some way to speak up? Or was there a process to, to getting to that moment? So the, there was, it was kind of a process um, because I, I, truthfully, I didn't know what to do. Um, uh, you know, being a whistleblower is not something that like you train on, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's no like set of, there's no like manual, like a checklist. Um, so I, I had to ask people. And really for me, the, the big thing was asking people that I trusted in confidence Am I right to feel this way? You know, do other people think that what I'm saying or what they saw happen was wrong? And yes, they did. And people were agreeing with me. And I said, okay, I'm I'm not crazy. I'm not, you know, biased in this. Like people are believing in this. And, you know, I was just fortunate enough to, to get a, a, a great um, a patriotic lawyer uh, who did this pro bono. He's been fantastic. And, you know, he really helped me navigate this to make sure that the, the story is archived, memorialized and correct. So the American people know exactly what happened. Um, and hopefully those who, you know, did wrong are held responsible. And I cut you off in the middle of you were saying you really didn't want it to be about you. Yes. How do you how do you make sure that that was the case? So, you know. I ran for Congress, right? So inherently people look at me as a political operative, right? Um, the people on the right, they're gonna look at me as, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing, 
right? That I'm, I'm pushing this narrative. And then on the left, the Democrats are going to look at me as an opportunist. So there's really no win for me either way. Right. And, and, and I think the way that we navigated it was just being 100% truthful. And when I gave my testimony, I said it numerous times. I'm not speculating. I'm not con, you know, providing conjecture. I'm just providing the facts as I saw them. Um, and I will let other people make their opinions. Um, but now in the aftermath, more is coming out. People are starting to see kind of the totality of what happened that day. Um, and, and, you know, I am certainly proud of my stepping forward, um, doing what I believe. In, and I've been I've received a, a lot of great support um, across the veteran and, and service member community um, that, that they believe that I did the right thing as well. So. We talk a lot here at New Politics about living and leading with courage and integrity. Those are two of our core values. You have clearly modeled it and, you know, you were tested and chose to stand in that place of courage and integrity. Any advice for servant leaders about how to just um, stay grounded in that? You know, it, it's tough because you're never going to know when you're in that position. But if you have inculcated values and, and you, you, you espouse them and you aspire to live by them every day, when something is wrong and you know that it's wrong, you'll know. Um, you know, I had a visceral reaction. I couldn't sleep. And it's, it's crazy to think about, but that was my body telling me like, Hey, Hey brain, this is what you tell us every day. Do it. Um, but I, I will also say that it comes at a cost, you know, it comes at a great personal and professional cost. Um, you know, when, when you step forward or you stand for something that you firmly believe in, whether it be right or wrong. Um, people are going to judge that. Um, and the personal courage that you have to have to stay the course, it, it doesn't come overnight and you can't just pull it out of thin air. It comes from living day in and day out as an honorable person, being a person of value of character or of values and character. Um, you build towards it, right? Uh, and you have to understand that whether you're, you know, in public office, a politician running for office, or just, you know, a day-to-day -day servant leader, you know, we're all tested. And people are going to judge your reactions and, and how you, you handle things. But if you live the core values that we all, you know, subscribe and ascribe to every day, when you are called to that and you're compelled to act, you're going to know what to do. You're going to know the right thing to do. Love that. Love that. So it's just a daily practice of that integrity. And then when the big test comes, you know when you are being challenged in that way. And it's powerful, powerful. So getting towards the end here, you know, part of this podcast is about we have a lot of members of our community, servant leaders wondering, should I get into politics? Should I try to serve through politics? What's your advice for those folks? Yes, absolutely. There is no other organization in America like New Politics um, that takes everyone from across the policy spectrum um, and puts them together in, in one, you know, virtual room, if you will, um, based on, you know, one commonality, and that's values. Um, you know, the, the discourse of generations past, you know, where you had Republicans and Democrats sitting together in a room 
you know, that's kind of gone now. And I think organizations like New Politics are able to foster that because they're able to break down all of the barriers that we all have and realize and go back to the one fundamental aspect of all of us. And it's the values that we share. And that kind of goes back to the compassion aspect, right? All of the differences that we have, you know, all of those are broken down by one simple fundamental human trait, compassion. And that's the same for values, right? As, as Americans, we all believe in American prosperity. We might look at it in different ways as to how to get there, but we all want the best for future generations. And I think that's why new politics is so important in today's modern political arena. And for anyone who feels an inkling of, of being compelled or called to serve, absolutely. Whether you know, you're, you're the principal running for office or you're supporting someone running for office, being in that process, in that democratic process is extremely important because a democracy is only strong when we exercise it. Fantastic. And I just have to say, I love how, you know, your very first memory was your dad kind of stepping up to be a coach and saying, I'll take on this responsibility and just how, how many stories you have of you stepping up and just saying, I will, I will take this on. Um, so powerful stuff. So I'd like to end with asking, is there an organization doing good work in the community? Your day job is with an org doing great work. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Yeah. So, um, you know, going back to when I said transitioning from the active duty component was very difficult. Um, so I've been very active in the veteran service organizations and veteran community, trying to help people transition into their next journey or calling, um, whatever that might be. Um, and, and I'm very fortunate uh, to work with an organization called Warrior Rising. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit that enables and supports veterans and veterans' families to start, sustain, um, and really uh, run you know, small businesses. Um, we've been around since 2015. We've helped thousands and thousands of veterans. It, it, it's a great opportunity. We're always looking for veterans that want to start businesses people that want to be mentors, or even just people that want to support and help out. Um, it's a great organization, uh, something that I'm extremely proud of. Yesterday, we just gave a check for $18,000 to a veteran in Arizona named Dave Delano. It was a great event. We did it virtually, had him hold up a giant check. Um, so we're doing great things, uh, but that's a people-powered movement, and it's something I'm, I'm extremely passionate and proud of. Um, so if you're out there, a servant leader, looking to, to get involved, help out, um, warriorrising.org would love to have you come on board and any support you could give, you know, gladly take. Fantastic. Well, Adam DeMarco, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making time, uh, to be with us and for sharing so thoughtfully of your kind of remarkable journey. Just really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. thanks for being with us. Thanks. This has been the new politics podcast. I'm your host, Max Clow. Thanks for listening. And I hope you join us for our next episode when we meet yet another servant leader who has chosen to step up and serve through politics. If you want to learn more about New Politics and the candidates that we support, please check us out online at newpolitics.org. And I'll leave you with this question. How do you feel called to serve at this critical moment for our nation? Thanks for joining. See you next time.